Am I willing to go to any lengths workshop? My name is Alice, and I am the compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being taped. All participants are required to sign the release form. So if you come up to um, comment, there's a paper here on the podium to sign. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An ASCIT basket will be passed, will be circulated for the question and answer portion of the session. If there are any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format of the session is as follows. These speakers will share 20 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. An Ask a Basket will be passed around. Please place your question in the box for our panelists. The topic for this session is, am I willing to go to any lengths? Our first speaker is Gunit. Hi, good morning, everybody. I'm Ganita. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, I'm grateful to be here today. Um, let's see, am I willing to go to any lanes? Absolutely, God willing. God willing, and then work through your powers through to me, because um, that's the one thing that I learned in this program, or not, I mean, just in life overall, especially through this program, that powerlessness. Powerlessness, powerlessness, powerlessness. It's through powerlessness that I am blessed to become powerful. It's through surrendering my self-will over that I'm blessed to find kindness, love, tolerance, acceptance, and really the solution, to live in the solution one day at a time. Um, So just to give a brief idea of where I was, uh, I came into these rooms about... Three and a half years ago, uh, February 2011, my abstinent date just passed June 23rd, um, blessed to be three years abstinent, blessed to be abstinent today. That's what three years was really taught me is today, um, because life is so blessed in the day, and that's amazing. Uh, so when I came into these rooms, really, it was like, for me, the gift of willingness was spread across the board in a big stamp because this was like coming into Mars, leaving earth and coming into Mars. Really, it was. Um, I came from a very beautiful religious background, loving family, but it was very conservative as well. So outside help to me was just really like 
where, where I got a chance to see willingness, what was keeping me was old ideas, old ideas of what outside help or outside help like this would be. It's like, I, I wasn't good enough. My relationship with God wasn't good enough. My, I must be doing something wrong to be able to come. So a lot of shame, a lot of, a lot of what would other people think, a lot of they wouldn't approve if I was doing this. And that to me, as I look back on it now, was such a miraculous gift of willingness to really abandon abandon, abandon those old ideas, even though it didn't seem like I'm saying that I can abandon it, but yet walking through something to something that I I was desperate for. Um, So when I came into the rooms back in like February of 2011 was the first time I ever walked into an OA meeting. And I really just was quite astounded by what I was hearing, but I really wasn't listening. I was hearing it and it was great. But again, it was like, okay, what, what kept me and what's interesting is what kept me there is interesting was God. Cause that was what I was familiar with. That was what I was actually always used to. And when I came in, even though it was like Mars, I just knew when I'd hit my bottom that that he doesn't want me to die like this. He doesn't want me because I, I just believed in a power greater than myself. That that was my background that always, always kept me and loved me and showed me that this is okay. This is okay. Um, but what I tried to do was take what I heard from that meeting and go back and be like, okay, now I can do this, you know, um, and work yet again the diet aspect of everything. Um because you know and it and i look back and i'm like well that's just there's no judgment at all on it it's it's just what is and it's just a cycle it's just a beautiful 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 blessed cycle i came back 2 weeks later to that meeting i felt very um unwanted in a way i i got looked at like kind of funny um, and so, and then I left and then I didn't come back for a while. I came back then in May. So it was February and then May. But when I came back in May, which I thought was actually, now that I look at it, it was a very short amount of time to come. I mean, you know, I, I've heard, heard stories that I'm so grateful to hear where people come in and out years later, but I'm so grateful that I came back just a few months later all because the message was carried to me. The message was carried to me through God. The message was carried to me through an incredible angel. Um, like I said, I had no exposure to anything like this, anything like this that I ever grew up in. I mean, willingness was, I had no idea what willingness meant. Willingness is really open-minded. Willingness is really letting something greater than myself run the show. Willingness is really not jumping always and saying yes or no, unless, unless that intuition, that, that, that higher power is clear to me and I'm doing the best. Willingness to me is the gentleness, the loveness, the pain. There is no wrong. There's just no, there's only love. And how can that love guide me in the best way possible? And that's what, I mean that fast forwarding that's what today is 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 like with my higher power but at that time what happened was basically the bottom the bottom that happened in May 2011 and 
And it was an astounding experience. I had gotten to a point where I was really just, I was aware the food is not the solution. The diet is not the solution. This is not going to make me happy. But yet I didn't know what to do. And I just wanted to die. And there was nothing really wrong with my life. That's the interesting caveat. I always had a loving family. I had a decent education. I had a job. I had, you know, everything kind of, if you looked on the outside, what could possibly be wrong? Absolutely nothing was wrong on the outside. Seemed fine. I was able to always manipulate my weight. I wasn't always a hardcore compulsive overeater. I was a great restrictor. I was a super amazing dieter overall. I was a, I could figure out ways to exercise things off, you know. I could use a laxative to kind of control and do a cycle like that. So, you know, if you saw me, it wasn't always like it was showing. But it was dying on the inside. Because when you're eating, when I'm eating five days worth of food in one day, there's something going on. And and when that fear of, oh my God, I just can't, you know, I'm, I got to make sure I like crash diet for the next five days so that basically it evens it all out. Uh, and there's only fear and my self-will doing that in that, oh my God, if I don't, the world will like come to an end really that much fear because, you know, then I'm going to fall off the wagon. I'm going to fall off the wagon, you know? Um, and so I did that cycle and then five days of food became like six days of food or whatever. And then it wouldn't be just like one day anymore. It'd be like two days. It'd be, and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop it because the fear and the self-will, the fear would win out. The fear went out, you know, and it went like years, like it went for on like that. And, and the binges got really bad. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. They got really bad where I just couldn't stop. It would be like days at a time. And I didn't have it in me to continue the definition of insanity, the same diet the same diet, and yet keep going. I just didn't have it in me. And that's when I just knew, even though I wasn't abstinent at the time, I was very blessed to be aware, clear as pie. Pardon the pun. (laughs) But, you know, you can get me food from Paris. There's nothing left for me to eat, even though, I, you know, it's like I haven't eaten the food there or Belgium or whatever. There's nothing left for me to eat that I want to eat that's going to give me the fullness on the inside that I'm so desperate for, but I want to die. There's just life is meaningless like this, and I just couldn't stop crying, and the angel of mercy in my life that truly, truly, it's unbelievable to me, even as I say this, I can't convince my mind. That's another thing. Talk about being willing, willing to let go of my mind and willing to let God run the show. You know, that is the ultimate gift of willingness. But I am going to say it that for like eight years, I knew this person. We became fast friends. She's 20 something, 28. 30 years sober in addiction. And she's known me for like eight or nine years. 
And she says to me, nothing until I was ready to hear it. And then on my deepest bottom, I totally not planned to be in a bottom when I'm going to go see her. God planned for me to be in a bottom when I'm going to go see her. That tears could not stop and pain was showing. And that, I mean, on a day when you want to die and you can't stop, that's pretty incredible that God's sending his messenger right there to help stop the pain. And she looked at me and she smiled and she laughed. And she said to me, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. And really, like in this newcomer's workshop, that is the message that I would like to carry on to everybody, um, including myself, because I'm a newcomer daily. Daily, you know, it is daily to stay open and willing and try and let God run the show instead of my head. This is always going on. Even as I was walking in, it's funny how it's like, you know, how it tries to get me to justify, do you really need to be here? You know, every once in a while, it goes on. It goes on. Um, and it's okay. And I, I mean, the miracle of continuing to work the steps, the miracle of working a spiritual program of recovery for me is exactly that. To be able to laugh at it. To be able to laugh at it. And to be able to just really rely on a power of faith. That's it. This against me, it's a battle that's wasting my life away. I can't smile at you, you know? And I want to smile at you. I want to give love and I want to receive love. But when I'm in a battle here, it's like, what's the point? What's the point? It's not that I'm letting it win. It's just that I'm letting a power greater than myself take care of it. And that's what willingness is for me today so much is just being grateful that I can trust on that power greater than myself because I am not going to keep myself abstinent to my self-willed ways. That's a diet. This is life. This is God. This is gratitude. Just like when my dear friend said to me, I'm so happy for you. Because I had to hit that bottom. She said to me, I have to hit the bottom before I can move forward. And that same meeting that I was absolutely not connecting with, it was full of senior citizens. I had no idea where I was going. And I'm going from earth to Mars, not even, not even Los Angeles to like Australia, but I'm saying earth to Mars. That's where I came from. That's where I'm going to. But when I went back in May of 2011, I had tears in my eyes in the middle of that meeting. And I was so grateful for those tears because I became willing on another level. And that's what happens every day. If I let something more loving, more kind, more gentle than myself run the show. I don't have to be in a battle with myself every single day. I don't have to I don't have to be in I don't have to be finding the solution. I just get to experience the solution. And that to me is willingness, you know? And and then I started going. And I did I worked like hell to not want to do a sponsor. I work like hell to try and figure out a way that I could not have to work the steps. And today I will tell you my solution today to any sponsee, to myself even, to anybody who asks me, well, what's my suggestion? Find an abstinence, find a food plan, 
Keep it simple, then get going with the steps. Then get going with the steps. Because to me, in my experience with every fiber of my being, it is this third year has really shown me in order for any obsession, food, body, whatever, in order for it to be relieved, I need to be blessed to be in a spiritual program. I need to be blessed to be living a spiritual life. That that's how trickles for me, physical and emotional. It just trickles it down. It started with the physical. I did lose some weight here. My greatest gift is I can't tell you because I don't, I just was so blessed to be relieved from those numbers. They were God to me for so long. And when you're a restrictor, when you're a dieter, when you're, I, in my experience, Throwing that thing out the window was the greatest suggestion or one of the God send suggestions I got from his messenger. So I don't focus on that. I don't want that obsession. I've been in the obsession of body image. I've been in the obsession of those numbers. I want to live in the obsession of God. I want to live in the obsession of God for me to just be able to be here and say, just work through me in every way, shape, and form. That is the only way that I can stay abstinent and be abstinent. And I will honestly say, it started with the food. But the bountiful gifts that come from willingness, from trusting God, cleaning house, helping others, right? Those are the three things that the basic steps kind of qualify to. First three, trust God. Four through nine, cleaning house. 10, 11, 12, working with others, helping others, staying clean. The bound, I don't know how it works. I'm not going to get into the justification game. Do you really need it? Do you not? I choose not to get into the justification game right now to the best of my abilities. But in my experience, it works. In my experience, I choose it. In my experience, if it ain't broke, keep it simple. Keep just doing it right now, you know, just for right now. I can't convince myself. I learned that very well in step one. I learned it even more in step seven. As I did step seven again for the second time this time around, it became so beautiful that it was like, you ain't going to fix it, Guinea. I can't fix it. There's a, there's a lovely little voice that's always like, come on, just say it. Convince yourself. You need to be here. You need to be here. You need to be here. And you know what? I'll say it, and then there'll be another question, and there'll be another question, and then there'll be another question, and then there'll be another thing. And you know what? That's what's funny about that cycle. And that's what's so beautiful that lets me connect with people every single day in life. It is through acknowledging the blessed gifts that I have, including this disease, that I become in the greatest miracle that I can exist in my life one day at a time. The simple things are miraculous to me today. The simplest things are miraculous to me today. I can go to work without going so insane that my hair is pulling out and I can't stop that unless I go down to the convenience store and get my Twinkie and my cupcake, inhale it before I've even gotten to the cash register and come back up and do my job just enough until I can have the next couple of hours to get my drug. That's what life was like. 
powerlessness and unmanageability. If I let, what's so great is I just don't think God can let. That's the real miracle of willingness for me today. In my heart and my soul, I don't have to say that to myself anymore because that's just another form of that old control. If you let it, Ganit, it'll go away. That means I'm still running the show. And I don't want to run the show. And what gives me comfort is I don't have to, not even have to. That voice is just false. I just don't believe God will ever let. And that is a miracle of being willing. And that is just being miracle, miraculously being blessed to be willing. And you know what? I didn't get it. I didn't force it. Thank you. I basically used to say, bless me with the hope to be willing. I couldn't even pray for willingness because I was so judgmental and so perfection and so confused all the time that I was like, I don't know if I really want it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I lived in a world of confusion all the time. So I was like, okay, just bless me to be hopeful. And then the hopeful became, bless me to be willing. And you know what? Today, it's just simple. My loving higher power, bless me to be willing to seek the truth and in the heart and the soul and bless me with your courage to follow it. There's no other way for me. There's no other way. I don't want to do it. But it's also taken a lot of spiritual work to say that's not giving my power away. Thank you. Thank you, Gunit. That was wonderful. Our next speaker is Nick. Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm an overeater. Good morning, everybody. Um, am I willing to go to any lengths? Absolutely. Um, because my addiction is willing to take me down at any length as well. So I need to fight this addiction with the same intensity because if not, it will overcome me. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about how I became a food addict. Um, I clearly remember when my food addiction started. I was five years old. Um, what happened was um, my, my mom and dad um, wanted to move to the, to the U.S. And um, when they left me, they didn't, it didn't happen quite I guess the right way. <laughs> um, they didn't tell me they were going to leave me. What happened was um, they, I remember just going to the airport that morning, and my dad has, was, they'd already left, and my mom, she intended to tell me right before she left. And what she did was that she checked in to the front gate, and she didn't know that once you check in at the airport, you can't come back out. And so I was waiting at, by the lobby, and I saw her go in, and I saw her being escorted, and she stood there crying. And I'm like, where is she going? And she just left. And um, that's how I found out that she left me. And I stood there for like a good five minutes. And then when my relatives tried to take me back home, I said, no, my mom's still coming out. I have to wait for her. They're like, no, she's gone. I'm like, what do you mean she's gone? And at that age, I learned that if my mom and dad could leave me, anyone can. 
And immediately, the one thing that I turned to that will never leave me was food. And if you look at my pictures, before five, I was so-called average kid. But after five, that's when I started packing on the weight because I needed to numb the isolation and the resentment that I had towards my parents for leaving me. And, um, and one thing I learned at that age, that if your mom and dad left you, anyone will take a hit at you. So I didn't actually get reunited with my mom until five years later. So in that five years, she couldn't come back to the, to the Philippines. My dad came back one time. Um, but what happened to me during the five years that I was abused mentally, physically, and sexually because there was no one there to protect me, um, I was left with a guardian who wasn't that much older than me. She was about 16, 18. And she, too, actually had some trauma towards the latter part of me being with her. So um, I just remembered that um, I needed to numb myself with food constantly. Um, I was told that I was so hideous that my ears were so big and ugly that my parents left me. And they would tell me that because whenever they wanted me to do something and I didn't want to do it, they would throw this really heinous like things to tell me so I would feel bad about it. So they, would want, they want to crush me so they can manipulate me into whatever they want me to do. And, um, of course, my mom and dad you know, couldn't tell me that wasn't true, so I believed them, that I was worthless. Um, I, I was told that I was ugly all my life, um, and I believed them. I had no choice. I mean, you know, they would just want they, I mean, they would make fun of my ears, um, just me. And so for five years, that was what I did. I, I used food to numb the pain. Um, at one point, um, in Philippines, like grapes, oranges, and apples were really expensive, and I couldn't afford them. And so I remember one time stealing a grape because I was just dying to just have the sweetness of the fruit. And I was just like, why is it so, why, what did I do so bad I couldn't have one grape? And I stole that one grape and I felt horrible <laughs> um, <laughs> because I knew that that's not the right thing to do. Um, so when I was 10, I was finally reunited with my mom in Baltimore. And I remember she asked me, she goes, what do you want? And I said, just make sure you have food for me. Because I knew that when I meet her, I'm going to need my best ally and my friend with me, which is food. I said, make sure you bring lots of apples and grapes and oranges. She goes, okay. And when I saw her, you know, I was 10, I gave her a hug and we cried. And right away I said, what's my food? Because I knew that that's one thing that was going to help me deal with anxiety was food. And you know what? The whole trip from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, I just shoved my face with everything I could get in that bag of just fruits. And it was the way I dealt with, you know, with the trauma. Um, and the thing is, when I came to um, the U.S. at the age of 10, I discovered another way to add to my addiction, which is fast food. Um, because in Philippines, we didn't really have all those fast food there. And in here, and the thing, my mom, she felt bad for leaving me. She couldn't say no to me. And so I would have two or three of those certain foods in a fast food with the side stuff of two or three of those, and I ballooned literally in months. Um, if you look at my, I was about 10, I was wearing like adults, like men's sizes, because nothing would fit me in the kids' sizes. I was just really bad. And and I think to the isolation, being in Baltimore at the time, it is 1980-something, and it was pretty much segregated. You know, I was like, 
me being a brown kid, you were, you were either white or black, and I didn't even have like any clique to hang out with because they didn't know how to classify me. It was this brown kid, you know, and I would just, I kind of just did my own thing. I was pretty much isolated. And, and that also, I needed, again, food to numb me for that. Um, because I didn't know how to deal with not belonging to anyone. It's already, it's already bad that I was trying to connect with my mom and trying to deal with the trauma and how to forgive her. And another thing is to belong to a group. At that age, it's so important to belong, and it was really hard for me. Um, so in, when I was 15, we moved to San Francisco, and another culture shock, you know, and... Um, you know, again, it was like a new kid in the block, and I'm used to it, but still, I always needed food to help me deal with that. And again, being overweight, you know, um, having big ears growing up wasn't very easy. People made fun of me. Um, I got I got called Dumbo a lot, and that's and now I embrace it. Before, of course, in the young, I mean, I saw the movie, I loved it, but still, I knew why they were calling me Dumbo because I had big ears and I was fat, and um, it. Even though I love Dumbo as a character, I resented what it stood for, being overweight and having big ears. Um, and um, so when I was um, in high school, I knew I needed to get a job to help my mom out. And the only job that I could think of has to do with food. I'm like, if I get a job, I have to be near food. And what do you know, the first job I had was working at a fast food, and I loved it. And I was one of those people that would... Um, I just love food. I love it with so much admiration that when they threw food away, it pained me, <laughs> and I hated it. So what I would do is that, you know, in, in this fast food place, after like 10 minutes, they would actually throw the food in, in, in this bucket. It was clean, so during my break, I would actually go through that, and I'm like, why are you throwing away good food? I mean, it made me sad to see my friends go in, in the garbage, you know? And so I would buy my food that I would pay for, plus I would go through the garbage. Well, it's not a garbage, it's a bucket. And I would just basically get my friends from there, and I'm like, oh, poor little thing. And, you know, and I would just take it back and eat it. And, you know, and that's why I kept the weight up by doing that because I didn't just have one meal. I had multiple meals because I felt bad that they're throwing away food. Um, it, that's, my, that's my codependency with food, obviously. Um, and I did that. I worked multiple jobs in, with food service because that's what I really want. I wanted to be close to my something that made me feel good, and that was that. Um, I, my highest weight was about 230, 240 um, when I got to college. I, I remembered taking the bus in San Francisco, and I would sit by the front, and people would literally just yank my ears out of nowhere. And, um, and there'd be a group of, of people. And, you know, I, was already, I already had a low self-esteem. I just kind of wanted to give up. I just lost hope from people. I didn't know what to do, and I basically became a recluse. I just stayed in my room a lot and stopped. And the good thing is that I love to study. So I became really great in school. I'm a big nerd, so that was great. But I had no social life. And I would remember I would lock myself in a room with this favorite sweet, cold thing every night. And that was a way to numb the pain. I remember my mom would bang up my door, says, please get out of your room. I'm like, why? Aren't you happy that I'm here? And she just said, no. She goes, she said, you know, um, you know, just get out. Do something. I said, 
I'm, I'm here with my friend. She goes, what friend? You're by yourself. I said, no, this, this is my friend, you know. And I, now I understood why. Because I was basically in my room all the time. That I just, I keep up on people in a way. And that's the extreme of what my addiction did. Because I lost hope. People just made fun of me. I wanted to feel safe. And I didn't feel safe anymore being in public. Because I was made fun of all the time. Of the way I look, the way my weight is, my ears. I, just, I was just done. I wanted to. So I was in a one man's club. You know, and with the food as my other member, um, it was a great club. It kept me sane, and um, it was good for my schooling, but socially it was really bad. Um, believe it or not, I actually had a girlfriend who is now my wife who I've met. I've known her since high school. We dated a little bit, but I was amazed that this woman saw me at my biggest, and she was a size two. She's not a food addict, but for some reason she saw something in me. And I don't know what it is, but I thank God that she did. Um, and I remembered one night she came over, and I got the big gallon of this thing, and I got two spoons, and she goes, what are you doing? I said, we're going to eat this while watching TV. She goes, oh, no. She goes, I would like a bowl, please, and I want a scoop of this, and that's all I want. And she goes, I would ask you to do the same thing. I said, what, are you crazy? I'm like, it'll be done anyway. <laughs> it's like, what's the point of getting a bowl? It's going to be finished. But, and she goes, no, it's not. She goes, I would like a scoop of that, please. And she taught me how to eat in a way right. And by being with her and doing some, um, we actually started walk, walking a lot. I lost a little bit of weight, but my compulsivity to eat food would never went away. Um, I started hiding food because I was in a way embarrassed to be to eating to eat in front of her because I knew that she didn't have the propensity as I did to eating food. And I kind of became a binge eater that way, and I carried that throughout my life until I got into OA. Um, I got to OA about... Three and a half years ago, what happened was um, I was in my early 30s. I was diagnosed with diabetes and high blood pressure. I've gotten gout twice that year, which took me to the ER. And the gout was so bad that I commanded my doctor to cut my toe off because I couldn't deal with the pain. It was just so bad that I said, I don't need my toe. I, I was in constant pain all the time. And he goes, I can't cut your toe. I said, yes, you can. It's my damn toe. And he goes, you're not going to find any medical doctor cut your toe because there's no rot, nothing wrong. I said, it pain, it, it's killing me. She goes, I can't cut your toe. That's I knew was really bad. I was praying to God every day with the rosary. I said, I just need a way to find to beat this thing. I tried the different diets. I couldn't find anything. My diabetes was so bad that... Um, and I also had a fatty liver. I've been fat all my life that my liver is, was really bad. It was called um, NASH. It's non-alcoholic Seattle hepatitis. I have a very fat liver because of all the food that I've eaten all my life. It just stuck there, and there's no cure for that. And if I didn't lose the amount of weight that the doctor told me to lose, I was, gonna, I was looking at liver cancer or cirrhosis or liver failure. I have two little boys, and I said, God, I need to make a deal with you. Um, because the doctor said the way I was going at my 30s with my diabetes, liver issue, and my high blood pressure, that I wasn't going to make it to 50. And I said, God, I'll make a deal with you here. I said, let me just see my kids finish high school, both of them. We'll call it even, and I'll be grateful, And but I just need to know how to make it then. Because the idea that I wasn't going to see my kids finish high school was a torture for me. And so I prayed every day, went to Mass, prayed the rosary, 
And then I had a coworker who was in OA for 25 years. And every year she would ask me to go to OA meeting to hear her speak. I'm like, ah, oh, no, it's too far away. Oh, no, it's too, I always had an excuse. And one day she just said, I know you're struggling. Just hear me speak just one time. And if you don't like it, I'll never, ever bother you again. I said, okay, fine. So I went to hear her speak. And at that OE meeting in San Francisco, when she shared, I'm just like, oh, my God, that's my life. And every person who shared at that meeting, I'm like, this is my people. Like, we're addicts. And I, for the first time, I was in a room where I felt like I know exactly what you're talking about. Because I've been there. I've dug through trash cans for the food. I've done... Like crazy stuff. I'm willing. I used to, I used to be called a foodie, <laughs> and that means that I go anywhere to get good food. I I remember one time my wife. I was willing to drive to L.A. to eat a certain kind of food because they had the. That's how crazy. That's how extent my food addiction would take me. Because it's true. As food addicts, we'll go anywhere for the best thing, aren't we? That's why we're addicts. That's why we're here. And the thing is, there was no distance. There was no kind of extreme that I that that will stop me to. Get the food that I feel like I want. That's my addiction. It's pretty bad. I called it a foodie, like an entitlement. I'm a foodie. No, honey, you're a food addict. <laughs> Let's keep it real. And the, and the thing is that when people say, oh, I'm a foodie, I'm like, no, you're a food addict. Just admit it. <laughs> and they go, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, really. Um, and the thing is, um, with this program, it has given me so much. By the sixth month, I was off my diabetes meds. By the 11th month, I was off my pressure meds. I've never gotten a gut attack ever again. My liver was amazing. And what got me in was that my A1C was, um, was 7.9, which is really bad. Anything over 6 is bad. It was serious that my doctor said, you know, if you get sick, you probably may not recover from that. And, and that scared me. I said, I'm 30-something. So how can you tell me that? She goes, you know you're 30, but you have a body of a 60-year-old. And I'm just like, that's not funny, doctor, because I'm telling the truth. And he wasn't lying. And with OA, after the, the 12 months that I was in OA, my A1C went to 5.4. He could not believe it. The last time I was at his office, he took another doctor. He goes, this guy is a miracle. I'm like, what are you talking about? He was showing my, my progress with my medical, you know, like, blood tests. And he keeps asking me, well, what did you do? I said, OA. The whole time, OA, OA this, OA that. And he's like, whatever, but what did you do? I said, I'm telling you, OA. <laughs> and he just, I kept saying OA, but he wasn't hearing me. Because he didn't want to believe that a program like this got me to that place. I'm like, I'm telling you, OA. He goes, no, what did you do? I said, I'm telling you, go to OA, and you'll find out how to do it. And the doctor was just like, it's a miracle. I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's God's work. You know? And it's, I'm really humbled by what this, because you know what? I've met people in this program that I think has even more miracle than I have. I have friends in this program that lost so much weight. It has an amazing program. I'm just like, God, you look amazing, you know? And, you know, I'm so thankful to be part of that. Um, the things that I do to stay abstinent and to keep myself healthy, I do the step work. You know, I go to meetings. Um, I take it one day at a time because I know today I'm sober and I'm today I'm abstinent. Tomorrow, I don't know why that. Well, I don't know if that's going to be that's, that's going to be promised for me. I remember when I started this program. I thank you. I, I really struggled, and my sponsor said because I'm like you know I can't do this. You're asking me to give up flour and sugar forever. I can't do that. He goes, you know what? Just try it for three months, and if you hate it, I'll drop you, and you're never going to hear from me again. 
by the third month, and I've learned to surrender daily, by the third month, I lost a lot of weight, and I felt good, I felt lighter, I had more energy. I said, you know, I'll continue. But you know what? It's basically, I was willing to do anything for this program and for my abstinence because I know that while I'm in this room getting stronger with you guys spiritually, my addict's doing one finger push-ups outside waiting for me to fall and falter. And I know that every day I fight with this addiction. And one, every day I'm just, Jesus, today the day that I actually take that one bite that will take me down for good. And I know I've met enough people in this program because I do make my phone calls and go to meetings and talk to people, I know that it only takes one bite for me to fully fail. And I know that one bite will take me down. And people say, oh, it's, you know, it's your birthday. Oh, come on, it's a special event. Just take that one bite. I said, no, that one bite is, that is my death. And I know that. For three, I've been in the program for three and a half years. I've never had flour and sugar. Um, I slipped two years ago because some had a resentment because people can have popcorn and, and I couldn't. So I had like, Two popcorn, and I told him. He goes, "I told you specifically." I'm like, "Yeah, but I was my fault was I was comparing myself to other people." I'm like, "Well, so-and-so had popcorn and they have it," and he goes, "But I'm telling you, it's not." So one thing I've learned from I don't analyze. We have nine tools. One of them is not analyzing this program, and that's what I stopped doing is analyzing and comparing myself to people. I'm like, "Well, they're doing this. How come I can't have that?" I'm just like, "Nick, stop." I'm thankful that this is what I have. I'm thankful to have maths that I do now and to be in program and I'm still going to meetings you know I still am grateful to my sponsors and my sponsees you know and a lot of things I'm grateful for um, and I see um, I have one more minute um, let's see um, you know what I have to say step work and clean up your past I know that for me to stay sober and abstinent I need to address my issue with, with my with my trauma and it took a lot. I remember when I started coming to meetings and I would share, I was always crying. And people said, Nick, we know you're in a great, we know you're, we're glad you're here, you're doing the right thing, but you need some additional help. And they encouraged me to see a therapist. And a lot of us here who are food addicts have our past that needs some cleaning up. And trust me, I've met a lot of us who are in the same boat as I do. And you know what? Seeking help, getting a therapist really helped me like get up to the next level of my abstinence. Because I knew that if I didn't deal with my past, it would creep up. And those moments where I feel really sad and feeling the pain, I would numb myself. And I'm 30-something years old. For the first time, I'm like, wow, I can deal with life and not use food to numb me. And I'm so glad that I'm here, that I can deal with life and the pain. I'm like, ah, this is how adults deal with pain. And, I, and now I can deal with it with that numbing. Because I've been numbing myself all my life that I didn't know that, okay, this is an adult now, and I could learn to deal with pain. My name is Nick. I'm a composer over here. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. And our third speaker today is Tina. I'm going to start these, um, the question and answer um, question basket right now. Hi, I'm Tina, a compulsive overeater. Um, I started to eat compulsively at the age of eight, and I too suffered some trauma, what was going on in my little life, and I turned to food to help me deal with it. Um, I had many diet ups and downs throughout my life. And uh, by the time I was 35, I was up to 300 pounds. Um, and at, 
not only was I struggling with the food and, and the dieting, but I was struggling in every area of my life, though I didn't really see it that way. I felt like if, if I could only just lose this damn weight, then my life would be good, right? Um, so that was a lot of crazy thinking, even though um, I was very unhappy at, at every job I had. I was always complaining. There were always things wrong with people, and I was dissatisfied. I had intense feelings of, feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt about everything I did, and all of my relationships were dysfunctional. But other than that, you know, it's, everything's great. Um, so what I did about that at the time is I was in and out of therapy. Um, that did help to a certain extent, but it, it never really got down deep enough somehow. So it was helpful to know um, more about the roots of, of some of my problems, but it still didn't give me the how to get beyond it, how to actually move beyond it and get free from that. So sometimes my sponsor says it's sometimes the knowledge is the booby prize. Uh, so, so the therapy only went so far. Um, I, I attended church, a spiritual seeker, and I did get some help there too. Um, but there again, I knew that there was still something missing and there, I wasn't able to really put my finger on it. Um, and you know, by my thirties and so on, I had completely lost hope in all diets because I had been up and down on several of them and they, there was nothing that worked for me on a lasting basis. So what happened? Um, I started attending, um, it was a Christian 12 step recovery group back in 2009. Um, and I thought, Hmm, maybe this will help. And that was my first introduction to the steps, the 12 steps. And I thought, this is amazing. And that group encouraged me to get involved in OA um, because several of the members there, there was an AA and there were different people and different 12 steps. And, and so I thought, okay, 12 steps, Let, let's give it a try. I attended my first meeting back in, in May of 2009. And when I walked in the doors, I knew I was supposed to be there. Somebody handed me the reading for acceptance, and I found myself reading it, reading the doggone thing, and being in tears, and it just having such a, an incredible impact on me. And I thought, okay, um, this is good. This is good. Um, maybe I can get some help here. So the topic for today is, am I willing to go to any lengths? So it, that was like a boot camp. That started to be like a boot camp for me to um, in willingness and being willing to go to any lengths. Because one of the first things that other 12-step group told me is they said, Great, Tina, now you're, you're going to the OA meetings. That's a good thing. Now you need to get a sponsor. And I said, No, no. I was hoping just to you know be able to come to a couple meetings, sit in the back of the room, and slink out the back, and maybe nobody will see me. And that was kind of the whole p uh, pattern of my life anyway. And... Um, but somehow, you know, by the grace of God, I guess I would say, I was willing to, they said, well, we're going to pray for you to get a sponsor. And the next meeting I wanted, went to, there she was. I just, I just knew somehow that that was the person that would be my sponsor. And I said, okay. Um, so I got, I got started with a sponsor. Um, and then I started working the steps. And she took me through the steps little by little. And I started working the tools of the program, you know, especially, you know, going to the meetings, um, reading the, the literature, the, um, 
OA 12 and 12 in the big book, writing. I, was do- I started doing a lot of journaling. I got over my barrier about writing. I had this in bondage to perfectionism, so I had this idea that I can't journal because it won't be perfect, and I'm going to have to go back and erase it and correct it. So by the grace of God, he was able to help me let go of that. Um, so started writing and started a food plan. So my food plan has changed and evolved over time, and I agree with what somebody said here. Just get something that, that is rudimentary, keep it simple, and, and go go forward um, until you know more or hear a change. So I, what I started with is counting calories and writing down my food. So those two were really good for me because the counting, the calories part gave me an objective measure, and I did some weighing and measuring. That gave me an, a, a good objective measure of what I was eating because I have addict eyes. You know, I don't know what a cup of whatever is. You know, I don't know what that looks like. So to measure it, that was, that was really good, and that was a sort of a grounding thing for me. Um, and writing it down, that kept it, you know, right in front of um, my consciousness, you know, it was it was harder to kind of sneak things in and and so on if if I were writing it down, um, and then I started walking. So that was kind of my my rudimentary plan as I got started in as a newcomer. Um, what I told somebody recently, I'm working with a sponsee, and she said, "You know what? This program, this is the hardest thing I've ever done." And I said. I get it. I, I really get that because when I came into OA, I had no idea how much help I really needed. I needed a full pit crew um, of people helping me and working with me um, to actually get me to change, to actually you know get me through some transforming processes in my life. So I needed my sponsor. Um, I, I work with sponsees. I needed to go to the meetings. I had another group of, of two women that I met with every other week, and they were great. I have a personal trainer that I work with once a week, so he's part of my pit crew. Um, you know, my pastor at my church is now, I've recruited him to be part of my pit crew, and I've been talking to him about OA, and he finds it really interesting. So there's a lot of different people and these members of this pit crew. And, you know, I have these weekly meetings and, and kind of a, a structure now in place that helps me stay sane. Um, but like I said, I had no idea. So that's all part of that willingness. It's like a willingness to say, this is what I need, and this is what's going to keep me sane. Um, so the results from that, by the grace of God, over two years, I was able to let go of 130 pounds. I would have never dreamed that that was possible. Um, and even a bigger miracle from that, I believe, is I've maintained it for three years. And, and that is, that, that's almost unthinkable, you know, to think about that. And it's, oh, it's OA. It's, it, and it's God's work in my life. It's not, it's not me doing it. I'm even lower than my high school weight. You know how people say, my high school weight, <laughs> whatever. Lower than that. Who would have ever dreamed? I would not have. And I just feel like I've got a new lease on life. I, this, you know, they say beyond your wildest dreams. This, I'm living it. Um, uh, I feel like um, I feel younger. Um, I have more energy. I feel like I, I, I look younger. Um, I have no more need for medications. I had a medi- medicine closet full of stuff, right? High blood pressure medications. I had sleep apnea, so I had the CPAP machine. That's all gone. It's all gone. 
Uh, I had really bad arthritis. I've still got a little bit, but nowhere near what it was. I used to sweat just with this this very minimal effort all the time. And I was, oh, so embarrassing, sweaty, sweaty all the time. Don't sweat anymore. It's just awesome. So um, this program has helped me feel alive and healthy. Um, And then, you know, that's just the physical part. But then there's been the spiritual and the emotional recovery, too. Um, which no diet can really give you that. And that that has really been beyond my wildest dreams, too. And that's been the cornerstone of my recovery. So the kind of the spiritual part. Uh, so another part of what I did is my daily routine that I had never done before is actually have a quiet time in the morning where I would sit and... Um, I would try, gosh, even to carve out five minutes when I started was unthinkable because I'm so busy. I've got a lot of things I need to do. Yeah, right. Um, When I began to work the steps and I turned my schedule over to God, I was really dysfunctional about my to-do list, too, and my schedule. It was all chaotic. Turned it over to God, step three. He began to reorder my life in a completely different way, um, so they say God is good, orderly direction. I started to get that. Um, <clears throat> he said, the most important thing is to sit with me every morning. I said, God, I'm not a morning person. How can I do this? This is crazy. And he said, I'm going to clear your calendar, and we're going to work on this together. And he did. And one of the things that happened is um, the alarms, the, I threw out my alarm clock. And I said, you're kidding, God, Really? So what happened is God started to wake me up at the time I needed to wake up. He says, I know your to-do list is really crazy and out of control. And your to-do list starts with what time you get up in the morning and what you do after that. He says, I'm in charge of that now. So this morning you're getting up at 6 a.m. or or whatever time it is. So that was amazing. I thought I would have never dreamed that God would be in charge of what time I get up in the morning. Then I would sit with him. And pray through the third step prayer. And that's been hugely important for me. So um, I'm just going to read through what the third step prayer is because maybe somebody here doesn't know what that is. And that says, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. <clears throat> Sorry. <sighs> may I do thy will always. And that sets the tone for the entire day. And like I said, that's the cornerstone right there. And the miracles that started to happen is I began to hear God's voice directing me in a more clear and distinct way than I had ever heard before. Um, And I was astounded by that. Um, So the stuff that I began to hear, I I had expected, you know, as as a um, spiritual seeker in my prior life, whatever, I had expected to hear from God in the big things. You know, where, what apartment or house should I live in? What man should I marry? What job should I take? I kind of expected I would hear about big things. I had no idea that I would hear from God about everything. Um, So I began to hear from God about what to eat, what to wear, what time to get up in the morning, like I said. Um, 
what to do now and what to do next. Um, and very, very specifically, if I was listening and attending to his voice, and it was tricky to try to learn at the beginning to tell between his voice and my crazy addict voice or some other voice, you know, and the people-pleasing voice. It was tricky to try to start to learn that distinction. But and it, um, the great thing about OA is you get to practice. You know, I never knew that in my in my prior spiritual upbringing. That was a scary thing. You, you know, what are you talking about? You're going to practice. I'm practicing hearing from God and learning to tell what his voice is um, from other, every other voice. Um, some of the early messages I got from God um, when I was still way back in my dysfunction was, shave your legs. And I said, What? I was astounded. I thought, this is crazy. Shave your legs? God, aren't you too busy, more busy than this to be concerned about something like this? And then he started talking to me about do the dishes. And I said, what? Do the laundry. I was astounded. I had no idea that God would be concerned about these, what I thought were these minor, piddly, insignificant things. But the reality was when I finally was willing to attend to that voice. He was speaking to me about self-care, which had gone down the tubes, right? I Shave your legs. I mean, let's talk about everything else that went out the window, you know, when I started again and was weighing 300 pounds. That was, that was the thing that started to change the whole thing. It was the beginning of the chain that helped me up, up the spiral of that whole self-care thing. And doing the dishes and doing the laundry was the first um, step that helped me up the chain of my whole house had gotten out of control. Papers disorganized, bills unpaid, <clears throat> drawers a mess. The whole household was a damn mess, and I couldn't stand it. But I was such in my attic self, I couldn't get control of it. So he was speaking to me in a very gentle, kind voice about whatever that first little thing was. Do the dishes. Shave your legs. It was amazing. So I became willing to listen. Um, and at first, I hated it. I hated shaving my legs. What a hassle. I thought that I was off the hook. I just don't even really want to bother with this, God. Are you kidding me? But um, I started to do it. And I said, God, I'm going to need your help. I said, it sounds ridiculous, but you know, help me to do this. Um, and I became willing to do it. And after I did it for a while... I began to think, it's not as bad as I thought. Wow, hmm, I can't believe it. Well, what was I thinking was so hard about this? Because now I'm doing it, and now it's becoming more of a thing that I kind of want to do, you know? And, you know, it feels pretty good to have, you know, sh clean shaven legs and whatever. Now I can wear shorts and not worry about big, big hairy legs hanging out, whatever. Um, I kind of like it, and I kind of liked having the, the dishes and the sink clean. Um, and not worrying about a big pile of, of a mess to come home to, and, and this this type of thing. And so it began to change me, is what happened, is it began to change what I wanted, and and kind of my presets all throughout my life. And I'm, it's not just talking about um, shaving legs and doing dishes, it's everything across the board started to move up that chain. And then I heard a slogan in the program that I find amazing. It says, act yourself into right thinking instead of think myself into right acting. I thought, my God, that's what God was doing in my life. 
when I prayed the third step prayer every morning, turned my life and my will over to his care, and then listened and would try to obey and attend to that voice, he was doing the little things for me and guiding me in exactly what I needed to do. And he was helping me to act myself into right thinking. So go, going from, I hate to shave my legs, to, I like to. It's easy. I can do it. I do it every day. Um, to, I hate doing the dishes, to, now it's something I do routinely. And, I, and I, now I enjoy a clean house. I mean, that's, that is beyond my wildest dreams. And it's not a struggle. So he has changed my thinking by changing my acting. But I, but the, the real key part of it is I don't need, need, even need to come up with a program is, like somebody else was saying, I don't need to try to figure it all out. I didn't need to figure out that I needed to shave my legs and do the dishes to get into this whole thing. I didn't need to come up with that. God gave that to me when I asked him every morning. Um, so some of the other things I did not know when I came into OA as a newcomer was I had no idea what my part was. We talk in the program about my part. Um, I had no idea. You know, I had been a spiritual seeker for many years, and I prayed. Oh, my God, I prayed so many times. Please take this weight off. I can't stand it. I don't understand. What do I need to do? It's horrible. And I felt like he wasn't hearing me, and he wasn't answering me. Completely eluded me the fact that I had my part in this. OA showed me what my part was, and that is the footwork. The footwork is to get a sponsor to come to meetings, to read the literature, um, to do the writing, to use the tools. That is my part. God is the one that creates the miracles and creates the transforming change. I, I never knew that before OA. The other thing I, I didn't really have before, even though I thought, you know, I was a good religious person, whatever, and I trust God, I never realized that I didn't really trust God at a gut level um, kind of a, a place to actually say, you know what, this does not make any sense, what I believe I'm hearing from you right now. So many times I think, God, really, is that, is that what you're telling me? Are you telling me to go to the goodwill to buy clothes? Yes, Tina, I'm telling you to go to the goodwill to buy clothes. I was losing so much weight I had no clothes to wear. He said, go to the goodwill. I said, I don't want to do it. And he, he said, too bad, <laughs> basically. I have found so many great things at the goodwill I, I can't even tell you. It's amazing. And he says, I've got something for you there. Just show up. Um, that is showing me real trust to actually do it, to actually do what he's saying. Um, and let's see. I've got one more minute. The other thing I was missing was courage before coming into OA. Um, I had no courage. I was afraid to make mistakes. I was afraid to look like a fool to everybody. Um, I was afraid to try anything different. This has pushed me way beyond those boundaries um, and um, I needed I needed courage and I needed to ask God for courage and the willingness to make all of these changes um, and the other thing that grounded that and made that possible is this is a one day at a time program because um, I could not have been capable of doing all of this all at once and that's the beauty of it it is just one day at a time thank you Now, 
Um, okay, uh, can I have the basket, basket please? The envelope, please. <laughs> we have quite a few. So the first one is, what do you do to remain willing on a daily basis? Anyone? I have a daily quiet time, and I pray the third step prayer, and I do some daily readings. I read Voices of Recovery, and One Day at a Time, and a couple others. Those helped help ground me, and when I talk about the bondage of self, I pray through that, okay, what am I, what am I in bondage to today? Perfectionism, um, I'm worried about a, a, a meeting at work, I, I turn it over to God right there. That's how I, I get willingness. Thank you. Nick. How is your relationship with your mother now? Did she ever explain why she, and how she was able to abandon you? Um, it, it took us a while to get where we're at, but one thing I am grateful for is that this program allowed me to heal. And as well as my mom, I actually took her to a therapy session with me about a few months ago, telling her what I needed from her. And... Um, one thing I learned in my therapy was that I've carried a five-year-old boy with me wherever I went. Because when I was seeing the therapist, I'm like, I keep seeing this five-year-old boy. I said, it's me, but it's not me. And, when, and, and so it's a whole process with my therapist. But when I asked a boy, what are you doing? He's like, I'm waiting for my mom. So in that therapy session, I had my mom pick up the boy. I said, I can't take care of this boy. I have my own two kids to take care of, so I can't take care of this other boy that's following me around. And ever since then, it's been a lot better. I feel like this whole huge amount of weight's been off my shoulder, and I could move on because I felt like the boy, I love him to death, but he needed to move on also because I couldn't move on with him around with me. It was just kind of like pulling me back, and, um, and it's good. Um, I've learned to forgive my mom, although um, I did try to tell her some of the abuse that took place that happened in the five years I was molested. And I tried to tell her um, what happened. She was cooking, and I said, Mom, you know, so when you left me in the Philippines, things happened to me. And she goes, people hurt you? I said, yes. I was hoping she would ask more, and she continued to cook. And I, to me, I realized that's up to what she could handle, and I was going to push it some more. My mom is 79. I love her to death. She's at you know, I've forgiven her, and I feel like if we were to revisit those emotional stuff, I don't know what it'll do to her, but I don't want to find out. And I'm just like she's part of my life, and she's a wonderful grandparent to my kids. So, Thank you, Nick. Um, how and where does one find a sponsor, and what does a sponsor relationship look like? Um, Tina, uh, you can... Um, so, you know, it's said to find somebody who has what you want, but I'll tell you in my experience, I've switched sponsors around a few times, and uh, the first time it was really about somebody who had good, strong recovery, um, somebody that somebody just had kind of rem- reminded me, uh, had suggested that she works with her. So I asked her, um, I needed somebody who had a lot of good structure in her program and strong recovery, especially being a newcomer. Um, And then I gradually gravitated to somebody, especially during my fourth step, who had a lot of the history that I had, um, who who I could relate to, even though, you know, we were very different. She was probably older than my mom and so forth, but 
she could definitely relate to a lot of what I was trying to overcome or expressing about in terms of bondage. And then what's been really interesting as, uh, as I, as I noticed that we weren't really working programs so much, but more like fellowship and friends. So I wanted to, you know, I, I took the message that God was giving me and I really realized that I want to work with somebody today where I choose to have that structure and that accountability because it's not like a force, but I really want to have a connection of recovery with. And this has really been a testament to recovery in itself because I asked a friend and a fellow to be my sponsor. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't so much about finding the similarities of the program and it, and actually it was interesting because even though she's had more years of working the steps, she has had a little bit less time in abstinence because she started over a few times in the process. But what attracted me was I wanted somebody who was definitely going to be willing to work with me on a regular basis. I didn't want to have to track my sponsor down. And I really wanted to continuously be moving forward in my step work. I noticed that that's what really does work for me. Whether I'm on a step or a tradition or whatever, I want to be able to be moving forward in my program. So we meet on a regular basis overall. We do connect. And that's where I really... And, and that's where I really wanted to be. And I feel like God's saying to me, you can let people that you care about in on a daily basis and connect like that. Because it, like I said, it was a friend and a fellow. I really don't even consider her as my, I mean, she's my sponsor, but it's more, more of the connection that we have that attracts me. Oh, okay. I'm going, okay. This is the first speaker said, which was me. I'm going to stop thinking trying to figure out how to get the the solution and just enjoy it. Can you talk more about what you mean? Uh, sure. It's, it, it just comes down to that word simple. God's really simple to me. God's really very, very simple. And every time I'm trying to force something to come out, like, prove it, prove it, prove it. I mean, underlining some kind of a forcive decision. And I go through this even now, you know, even as we're sitting, you know, what keeps me from being present is, come on, make the decision. And then I'm obsessing about making sure I'll keep the decision or something, you know, and it all comes down again to the solution is learning to just trust that I don't have to prove and I don't have to force, but it's the connection of me in oneness with my higher power that when that moment comes, the solution will be right. It's learning to abandon myself to God as I understand God. It's learning to trust that what is, is absolutely gratitude what was is absolute gratitude and what will be is only right. There's no other form or shape of it. And I, I believe in that for my life and I believe in that for all the things I am powerless over. And I just choose to, 
I choose to live in the action, as it was so beautifully said, rather than trying to convince this to believe it. Convincing this is up to my higher power. The solution is for me to just being blessed with the courage to say it. And the, oftentimes, even when I can't say it, the solution is, okay, I will. You know, the solution is just, the solution is being kind and gentle and patient with myself and allowing myself to be in the moment knowing I don't have to anything anymore. I just will. And the interesting thing is, it was always the solution, but just more is revealed to making it easier one day at a time. So thank you. Okay, I think I, um, I'm Alice, compulsive overeater. I think I can answer this. How do you handle that biological time of the day when you want to snack? For me, it's uh, 4 to 6 p.m. My plan is three meals and nothing in between. Um, I've had that uh, situation, and a lot of it is making sure that the meals aren't too far apart, making sure that you have maybe a cup of tea or a drink of something. or so, uh, and, and those are the times between 4 and 6 that a lot of people have a problem. So your telephone is your really good tool to use, your telephone, your sponsor, um, readings, um, writing, any of our tools are not, we have nine of them. You can call somebody and I've done that during that time. And they, Oh, I'm so glad you called. I was just going to do this, you know? And so you, it might not just be for you. That phone call goes out. It could be for the other person. Okay. And another one I have the first, that was that one. Okay. Now we have, um, one from Rick and Nick. <laughs> The person asks, how do you deal with pain now as an adult without using food to numb yourself? Um, I'm still learning how to deal with pain as an adult because, I've, again, I've used the numbing of food for so long. Um, but I realized I eventually have to put my big pants on and just like, okay, this is how you deal with pain. I, you know what? One thing that worked for me is listing my gratitude li- list every single day. Me seeing in a piece, piece of paper what I have, my abstinence, my family, you know, um, a job, a home, um, that really makes me feel really good. And it kind of like make it kind of watches the, the self-pity and the pain for me. Because sometimes the pain is because, oh, my God, you know, I had this horrible childhood, you know, these things happen to me. But if I focus on what I have now and what I'm grateful for, that kind of like, it's like my little Tylenol for what I went through, and it kind of helps a lot. Um, so that's what I do. Um, or if not, make phone calls, go to meetings. You know, I think that's the reason why I used to cry a lot in meetings, because whenever I would talk about the stuff, it was also healing for me. Um, so just talking to a fellow, um, actually, in all honesty, people know more, know more about me than my own friends who have known me for, like, decades, because, you know, being abused and molested is not something I openly talk about, but it's something that I do share in a safe room like in OA um, because I feel like I'm with my, with my people. Like, I know that we all have went through some kind of trauma. We, we all could relate because, um, it, you know, it's people were like, huh, what's wrong with you? You know, so, um, so calling people up, going to meetings really helped me with the pain um, and just sharing what I went through and what I've had. It really does help. Um, it's a way to vent out. 
And also, um, people said, uh, are any of you an OE90 or have? I'm an OE90. I know there's a more of a base OE90 in South Bay, but I'm an OE90 member. Um, and the rest could answer. And also, what are your names? My name is Nick, NIC, and I'm based in um, the San Mateo area. So thank you. So somebody said, how do you, how, last speaker talked a lot about hearing God. How do you do that? Um, this is what I do. I get up in the morning. I have a quiet time. I say the third step prayer. What changed? So all that was different. And the other thing that was different is to actually expect that I'm going to hear from God. No, I used to just sort of toss off prayers and kind of forget about it. Now I expect to hear Expect that I'm going to hear from God, and I do. Um, and so um, he begins to sp- he'll speak to me about. Sometimes it's in one word phrases. So I'll sometimes I'll hear gym. I know that that day is I'm supposed to go to the gym. Sometimes I hear walk, and then I know that's a, that's a walking day. Um, so I'll one word phrases. The other thing I get sometimes is. For example, when I go to a restaurant and I think, ugh, what do I order here? Um, and still stay on my program and I'll say, God, what do I order here? And it's as if a light lights up something on the menu or my attention's drawn to it. And then I know, okay, that one's a good one. Um, the other thing is that I sometimes get the impression of, um, you know, landing lights on a runway for an airplane is coming in for a landing and there's lights go do do do. So there's sometimes I get the impression this is the way I'm supposed to go. So it's a guidance about a certain direction to go. So um, the other way I know that it's God's voice is that is something I would have never thought of on my own. That is so brilliant and so smart. I just know that that did not come from my brain. It's just it's an amazing thing. Um, And so... Those are some of the ways. Should I do these others now or, or come back? Um, so somebody said, can you describe your food plan? So um, uh, so basically it's based on counting calories and portion control, but um, I'm not actually doing that right now because um, what had helped me is, is to have that structure at the beginning, and now I'm, I've kind of got a, a good idea, and I'm following that as a guideline. So I have a certain breakfast. It's a high-protein breakfast in the morning. Usually for lunch, it's a sandwich and a piece of fruit and a glass of milk. Um, And dinners um, vary. Um, I try to focus more on high-protein, lots of fruits and lots of vegetables, lower fat. So all that's different than before. Um, I never used to eat fruit. Um, I thought, why would you have an apple when you could have a cookie? Uh, So... And by the grace of, and chocolate was a whole food group to itself. Um, by the grace of God, I don't crave chocolate anymore. I can't even imagine that. Um, but I haven't eliminated anything. Um, it's just that after have done doing this food plan over time, I don't want those other things. And, and that's a true awesome miracle. Thank you. Gunid again, compulsive overeater, and if I'm reading this writing correctly, and pardon me if I'm not, it says, fear of maintenance, maintaining a slender body. 
What are some aspects of weight maintenance and some aspects of abstaining maintenance have surprised you or your defects know you'd have to do or think to keep it up? Um, again, I'm going to answer it the way that I answered the first question or the first uh, time I spoke, which is the spiritual recovery. Why am I obsessing about my body? Why am I obsessing about my food? What's the fear behind it? It's just very, very, um, and even more today, it's just come down to, I don't want to analyze it. I don't want to know the defect anymore. I've done step six. I've done step seven. I've done them more than once. But in the second time I did them, it was a true God-given miracle. I just don't want to categorize my life anymore. It's a waste of energy. I just want to live in the solution again, which is love, peace, tolerance. Whatever the discomfort is, it too shall pass. Whatever the discomfort is, thank you, God, for bringing it into my life. Thank you for carrying me through it in my life. And thank you for what is going to happen and grow from it in my life. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Let's give our, our panel a hand. And, wow, that's amazing. Um, this is the best workshop I've been to in a long time as far as the questions and answer because it looks like three-quarters of the people ask questions, and that was a great thing for us. Um, let's give ourselves a hand. It's now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service at this session. Our timer. What's our timer's name? April. April, thank you. Um, Okay. Okay, I want to... Close this in the the, uh, third step prayer. We're going to come down there and hold hands. Okay. We have someone that would like to speak. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I'm Sue, compulsive overeater. Um, I really appreciated everybody sharing today. I could relate to different things that different people said. Um, I also had some trauma in my background, and um, my mother wasn't emotionally very available, so. Um, food became my best friend, my ally, ally my comfort. And um, I, I also really experienced having a very young, somewhere between four and eight-year-old. And I feel like sometimes I have an adult part and, an, and this young part, and I'm having um, dialogue about it. And I'm trying not to be too harsh. I've been in recovery for a while. I used to be really rigid and harsh about everything and everybody. So I'm trying to be more gentle. But in being more gentle, then it's like, how do you... I'm still exploring with how I help that part of me that got so wounded to realize that food isn't the answer. So um, I really appreciated the variety of your shares today and the extent of them. Um, 
you know, this journey just keeps on going for me. It feels like there's levels and layers of healing. And then there's layers of, I feel like there's some stuckness I'm experiencing now. And so I, I just wanted to speak and thank you for your share. Okay. Now we can all join hands and, um, do the third step prayer.